Good morning, Mercy Road. How are you? Happy Palm Sunday. Want to uh, welcome all of you guys that are here in the in the building, but I also want to welcome everybody that is watching online. I think that's so cool that we do that. My mom and my stepdad are actually in Cleveland right now. He's in the hospital dealing with some things, and so she's watching. So what's up, Ma? How you doing? It's Palm Sunday. Remember how messed up that was when we were kids? I'm going to talk about it just for you. I loved Palm Sunday as a kid. I didn't understand what it was all about. All I knew is that they gave us these palm branches. And when I was a kid, they gave us real palm branches. And so the leaves were like that big. And so my brothers and I, we turned them into a weapon. And then we'd chase each other around and we tried to Indiana Jones each other. I'm gonna whip you, man. So I never, I never knew why we got those. It was just super awesome. And then we get all these little cuts and stuff. And then I remember even one Sunday, they brought in a donkey. I didn't know why they did that. But I had a lot of time with that donkey. I found out they're a very fragrant animal. Um, and, and one thing that we know about donkeys is that they're super stubborn. And I learned that too, because I tried teaching it some tricks. It wouldn't do anything. I tried to get it to sit. It wouldn't do that. I tried to get it to shake, you know, like a dog. It wouldn't. I offered it Scooby snacks. It just got mad at me. And then I'm like, I'm glad it's not a llama, because those things spit. And that'd be nasty. And right now, some of you are starting to realize, hey, wait, this is the weird pastor at the church. Yeah, the ADD pastor, get ready to live. And so I'm excited to be with you guys. They don't let me get up here too often because they don't want to scare you guys off. But they let me come up here today because I love Palm Sunday so much and I've learned so much and I can't wait to share that with you. And so what I want to do is let's just go to God in some prayer. Let's ask him to be with us today. Father God, Lord, I am pleasantly exhausted and I love it. I just ask right now that you would keep that ADD thing at bay and that everything that I share today would make sense, that it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, that, I, that when we walk out this room, that we would say we had a chance to get more acquainted with you. Lord, I pray that you would just reach us where we're at right now. Lord, you know that we're all on that unique journey. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to pour in us, love on us. Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and that everything that happens up here tonight or this afternoon would be for your glory alone. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start class off with giving you guys homework right off the bat because my good buddy Rashad says, hey, don't just read the passages. You guys need to read them yourself. You know, I can get up here and I can read all of this Bible to you guys, but we encourage you guys, we want you to dig into the Word yourself and see where God kind of leads you. Read it with slowly and read it observantly. And, and pray this before you do. God, teach me something new today. Because sometimes we read the, the Scriptures and we read it to check a box. And we shouldn't do that because there's so many of these just brilliant little nuggets in there that if you just take the time, you'll just, God will reveal new things to you. You know, they say that the Bible's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, which I love that because it means you can read one thing one year and then you can read something the next year and it, God reveals something new to you. And so your homework is to read the triumphal entry, which is what Palm Sunday is all about. And you can find that in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. But I'm going to get, kind of set the stage a little bit about, about what's going on before this event takes place, this triumphal entry. So Jesus is in the town of Bethany. And Bethany is kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem. And something crazy happens. His friend dies. Shows up a little bit late, didn't get there in time to heal him. And so he's dead. He's in a tomb. And Jesus does a ginormous cup miracle. He brings his buddy back to life. 
And as far as I know, this is the closest to Jerusalem where Jesus performed a miracle. And when he performs this miracle, the word spreads, it goes viral. Everybody starts hearing about this Jesus. Now, maybe they'd heard a little bit about him, you know, healing the lame, the blind, but now he brings somebody back from the dead. After this, he heads up to this other town nearby called Bethpage. He climbs up this mountain to, to this area, and then he tells his disciples, hey, go steal me a donkey. We'll talk about that later. I love that in the scripture, though. He says, go get me a donkey. If anybody says anything, just tell them that the Lord needs it. And so they bring this donkey to Jesus. They put all their cloaks and stuff on it. They put Jesus on it, and then he starts heading into Jerusalem, heading towards the temple. And there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people cheering and screaming. And it gets so loud to where the, 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 the Pharisees get upset and start screaming out to Jesus, hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And they are cheering and they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, because everybody knows what's happening here. Because everybody's heard about the scripture that was written in Zechariah 9.9. Jesus is on this donkey and he's entering in and they all remember and they're all thinking, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time. And so think of it kind of like a political rally. These palm branches that they're waving are a lot like a flag and they're waving these flags saying, hey, this is our guy. We support him. This is him. Finally, we've been waiting for 500 years and now he's coming in and he's going to get it done. Rome's in trouble. And they had their minds and their eyes and their hearts set on Rome. And so they all knew, even the Romans knew, because they, they studied up on their enemies. They wanted to know, hey, what's this all about? And so it says in, in Zechariah 9.9, it says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. So they're waving their little palm branches and they're cheering in support of Jesus because all they're hoping is that he is going to come in and overthrow Rome. And he'll kick them out. They're tired of paying those taxes. They're tired of them being so intrusive and all up in their business. Get out. And they got it wrong. Even the disciples had it wrong. See, Jesus, he had his heart set on salvation. See, these guys, they're all cheering and they're all kind of, you know, short-sighted. They're just thinking about their current situation. They're not thinking long-term. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I've got bigger plans. My goal is not to save you from Rome, but my goal is to save you from yourself. And you see, here's the great joy and the reason why we sing the way that we do and the reason why we get up here and we get excited about what we get excited about is because we know how the story ends. Can you imagine they're waving those palm branches, and then not but a few days later, Jesus gets arrested. They're like, hey, wait, 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 wait. This is not how it's supposed to play out. This is not part of the plan. But Jesus, he gets arrested, then he gets convicted, and then he gets crucified. Can you imagine how hopeless they must have felt? Even the disciples. Wait, wait, wait. This isn't supposed to be how it is. But it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't until he conquered the grave that the disciples, and they started to understand. You know, Eric was talking about it a little minute ago. Just like, can you imagine? All of a sudden, they start realizing, whoa, it's a whole lot more than what we thought. And that's why we get so excited, because we know the truth, and the truth is Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible tells us, thanks be to God, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen this morning? We know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And it's why we sing, it's why we praise God, because we know. When we say Messiah, it's different than what they knew back then. We know that Jesus came to save us from ourselves. And so now when we read this with fresh eyes, we read it asking, God, teach me something. Challenge me, inspire me, knowing, knowing now why you came, knowing now why you sacrificed so much. And so I'm going to invite you guys into my world now. It's a little bit scary. I'm going to welcome you into my ADD brain. Because, <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's over here. He's getting excited. Because when I see things, when I read the scriptures, just little things jump out to me. And, and as I read this event, I asked God, I'm like, hey, show me something different, Lord. First thing that jumped to my mind were these cloaks. In uh, chapter 19, verse 35, it says this. They brought the donkey to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. Which, by the way, sometimes, you know, like I said, we read the Bible so fast that we, and, you know, it, we just don't pause for a minute. I personally think this is super funny. They put Jesus on it. Jesus is a grown man. He can get on that donkey himself. But in my mind, I'm just seeing the disciples. All right, we need three guys. We're going we're gonna to hoist them up. Let's just see if we can toss them up there. Let's see what happens, all right? Just throw them up there, okay? Now, right now, some of you guys are like, yeah, he does have ADD. And so they took these cloaks and they put them on the donkey first before they put Jesus on it. And then as they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And then I thought, well, what are these cloaks? Are they kind of like a disposable t-shirt? Are they kind of like a cheap Hanes fruit of the loom? You're like, we'll just go get more. Or maybe they're kind of like a paper towel. I mean, because they're throwing them onto the road. They're throwing them onto a donkey. I've been around them. They're a very smelly animal. It's not going to come back normal. You're going to need a little downy. So I, I did a little bit of research. Thank you, Google. And I found out that these cloaks were pretty significant. They were actually a very important garment. They symbolized social status. If you were a wealthy person, if you were a prince, if you were royalty, you, you had a really, really nice cloak. People could literally look at you, look at your cloak, and they could know where you stand in society. And then they had functionality. They could save you from the elements. You could use it as a blanket. Some people would even use it as a container, and they would load things up into these cloaks because the material was super durable. In fact, these cloaks were so, so important that if you owed me money, and I came collecting, by law, I would not be able to take your cloak. That is how important a cloak is. And here we read that these people are taking off these cloaks and surrendering them to Jesus. And boy, I tell you what, I felt convicted. Am I willing to surrender my identity, all that I am, for Jesus? You know, as you read this account for yourself, in, in Luke 19, you'll read through here, and you don't read any other name but the name of Jesus. Right in the beginning, Jesus calls two disciples. He doesn't say which disciples. It talks about Pharisees. We don't know any of the names of these Pharisees. We don't know any names, any of the people out in the crowds. We don't even know if the donkey has a name. Maybe it does. Maybe its name is Donkey, and it's got a, a best friend named Shrek. We don't know. <laughs> but what we do know is this. This all about Jesus. And here are these guys, these disciples, they are surrendering their identity to Jesus. They're all, everything. 
And man, I tell you what, the question came, Ben, are you available to give your all to Jesus? That's convicting. Are you willing to shred it all and recognize that it's not about your car and how much money you have in your wallet or where you're from? It's about finding your identity in Jesus. And the thing that kept coming to my mind is when my journey is done, and I don't know when it is, but it, when my journey is done and somebody says the name Ben Glenn, I don't want them to remember that I could draw with chalk or that I was a weird, goofy AD deer or that I have an obsession with Pokemon cards. I don't want them to remember any of that stuff. What I want them to remember is that I love Jesus and I was sold out for him and that I'd be willing to give him everything. That's the first thing God showed me. Ben, are you available to surrender at all? And then, of course, the second thing my brain drew to was the donkey. How could it not? You know, here Jesus says, hey, disciples, go steal me a donkey, which I think is hilarious. I mean, some people believe that, you know, there was probably some prearranged thing. But when I read it, it's basically Jesus saying, hey, go into the village ahead of you. And when you enter, there's a colt there tied up. Just take it. If anybody, you know, says anything, tell them that the Lord needs it. It's basically the equivalence of me saying to you, hey, go to the Starbucks over there. There's a Porsche there. Grab it. Bring it back. If anybody says anything, tell them the Lord needs it, okay? <laughs> but as I, I, I read this, I'm thinking, well, why did he choose a donkey? I mean, if he's going to steal something, like get a Clydesdale. You know, get a stallion, get something good. But then I remembered, oh, wait, 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 there's the prophecy. You know, in Zechariah 9.9, he rode in on a donkey to show that he, he comes in peace. If he would have ridden in on a war horse, it would have sent a different message. And so there's a reason why he rode in that donkey. And then I had to do some research on donkey. Thank you, Google. Because I, I really, I wanted to know, are donkeys as stubborn as what we think? Because every time you see them portrayed in a movie, there's that guy with the rope, and they're trying to drag that donkey, and they're just dug in, oh, not going nowhere. And so I had to do some research, and apparently donkeys are very smart. Now, how do they know that? I have no idea. I don't know if there's a donkey IQ test out there, but the smart people said donkeys are also really smart. And the reason why they seem so stubborn is that when a donkey is afraid, or it doesn't understand its surroundings. It digs in its hoofs and it locks in its legs and it will not move until it feels comfortable. Conviction number two. How often have I been a stubborn donkey when Jesus has told me to go? And the Bible tells us in Matthew, Jesus himself says, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what it doesn't say? Go when you're feeling it's convenient for you. Go when you feel comfortable. Go when you, when you don't feel any fear. Go when you know enough scripture and you feel like you've got enough you know, knowledge to share. Go then. Go when you get a seminary degree. Go when you get an official title. It says, therefore go. That's all it says. And yet so many times we find ourselves making excuses and, and digging in in that stubbornness and, 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 you know, writing it off as if, well, you know what, God, maybe, you know, you're God, you can pick somebody else. But he's called us all. If we have given our lives over to Jesus, he's called us all to bring the good news. In fact, it says in Romans 10, verse 14, and I love this passage. This is what, hey, if you don't if, Y'all got to get a Bible, and, and here's the thing. Now, I know y'all got your Bibles on your phones, but I'm telling you what, man, there's something about having it, like, 
like this. And, and, and you got to get like highlighters and stuff, and then you got to just get in on it and then write some notes in there. Because the cool thing is this is sometimes you'll just be flipping around, and then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Something that, that God showed you years ago, he was wanting to reveal something new to you in it today. And sometimes when you're on that Bible app, sometimes you miss it because, you know, you're swiping around and everything and all that, and it just gets a little complicated. So sometimes old school is the way it goes. And here it says in Romans 10, 14, listen to this. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Can somebody tell me what Jesus is? Good news. Jesus is good news. Reminds me of this wonderful story. I've shared this with the student ministry so many times, but I can't help it. I love it so much. One time Jesus gets into this boat and he goes across the Sea of Galilee to this area called the Decapolis. It's the first time he ever goes into this region. And so, and as soon as the boat hits the shore, they are greeted by a demon-possessed man. And so Jesus heals this man by casting the demons into a herd of pigs that's off into a field. And these pigs then run into the sea and they drown themselves. And then we've got all this bob and bacon and stuff. And, and the people that are there that see this, they run into the town. They tell the town people and they come running out to see what's going on. They see all the bacon bobbing over there. And then the thing that they see that really freaks them out, in fact, the Bible literally says they were terrified because they saw this demon-possessed man sitting clothed in his right mind listening to Jesus. What they were used to, what they were comfortable with, was this guy running around naked, cutting himself, breaking chains, and disrupting everything. And the Bible literally says they are terrified because this man now looks normal. And so they go to Jesus and ask him to leave. They literally like, hey, you're kind of freaking us out, Jesus. Can you go now? Yeah, bye-bye. So Jesus gets back in his boat, and before he shoves off, the man that he just healed comes to him and says, Lord, can I come too? Do you have room in the boat? I know how to paddle. Can I come? Jesus says, no. I need you to go into the town and I need you to tell them what God has done. That's all he says. Go in there and tell them what God has done. Now we read a little bit later on that Jesus comes back into that region and this time he, he, he hoofs it around the sea instead of going on a boat. He comes around the Sea of Galilee back to the area of the Decapolis and when he gets close to the Decapolis area, all of these people come in droves to meet him, bringing the sick, bringing family members and friends, asking Jesus, will you heal them? And so the question you've got to ask is, how did they know? The first time he was there, he healed just the one man and left. But when he comes back a second time, all of these people are coming and asking, Jesus, will you heal my sister? Will you heal my brother? I know this is just conjecture. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but I have to wonder. I have to believe that the reason why those people came in droves is because somebody brought the good news. Because somebody simply shared the story. There's nothing in scripture that says, hey, this demon-possessed guy, he was actually a theologian. Nothing in the Bible says that this guy was super expert in scripture memorization and, and he knew a lot of things. It basically says Jesus healed him, Jesus changed his life, and Jesus says, go tell your story. And that's the same invitation he extends to all of us. Therefore, go. 
Tell them what Jesus has done. And those of you who've had your life transformed by Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. I remember that day it happened for me. It was at a summer camp. I was in the ninth grade. I'd never been to camp before. I, I remember a teacher coming up to me and asking me, right towards the end of the school year, she's like, Ben, would you like to go to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp? And I'm like, are there going to be any girls there? She said, yes. I said, yeah, I'll go. I may be special ed, but I'm not stupid, okay? And so I go there because there's going to be sports and there's going to be girls, but God had a, a different idea for bringing me there. I love it, man. God has a plan, man. He does things, and you're like, man, God, you know what you're doing. He wanted me there to rock my world, to bring down the walls that I had built through the pain and hurt in my life of being this special ed kid. And on Thursday, I gave my life to Jesus. And I came home, and man, I tell you what, I was on fire. My parents thought there was something wrong with me. My brothers are like, what is the deal? Because I'm singing these camp songs, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm trying to figure things out. But the one thing that I was so proud of is that they gave us a camp T-shirt. And it was basically just a, 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 a cotton, you know, poly blend white T-shirt with a big gold cross in the front of it. You got that slide up there. This is what was on the shirt. It was in color, though. And so you got this big gold cross, you got these little leafy things, and I wore it all the time. Got to the point where my mom was like, man, we got to wash that shirt, and she'd wash it, and then I'd put it right back on. Smell like downy was so nice, right out the dryer. And so as we got close, camp was in June, and, and as we got close to the end of summer, uh, football practice started in August, and so we had what we, we called two-a-days, and I was heading into my sophomore year, which meant I was going to be practicing with the varsity team, juniors and seniors. And so I came to uh, that first practice, and I'm in the locker room, and I got my T-shirt on with my big gold cross, and, and I'm getting ready to take it off because there's no way I'm going to wear it for practice. I mean, I, but I was so proud. I wore it to practice. I was going to wear it during, and I'm pulling it off, and, and, and all of a sudden, I hear Rob Doyle, the biggest, biggest kid to ever come out of Plainfield High School. This guy was a lineman, and he was mammoth-sized. He was a true Sasquatch. His arms were like this. His legs were tree trunks. I'd never seen him wear pants because none of them fit him. He'd have to wear sweat shorts. He'd, he'd get sweatpants and he'd cut them off and then he'd have like a, a rope that'd keep him tied up. That's how big this dude is. And he walks over to me and he starts yelling at me, yo, Glenn, Glenn, oh, no, what? No, what? Don't tell me you're one of them wimpy Christians. What is this gold thing right there? What is that cross? Don't tell, what, are you going to pray that we win? Come on, Glenn. You're going to turn the other cheek. You can't play football and be a whip. And he's poking me in the chest the whole time. Jesus says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me say that again because sometimes we forget it. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. When you commit your life to him, Jesus is with you. And so I look at that situation and I see it differently now than I did back then. Back then, I'm freaking out. I'm sure my knees were knocking. I cannot confirm or deny if I wet my pants. It was a scary, terrifying situation. But now I see it differently. Here, here's, here's Rob Doyle, okay? He's yelling at me and here I am and here's Jesus beside me. And Jesus is psyched. He's excited. He's like, oh, yes, man, this is that moment. This is those times that we were talking about at camp. Tell him about me. Tell him about the cross. Can you imagine him on our side? Look how big he is. Tell him, sing him a song or something. (sighs) 
I wish that I could stand on this stage and say, man, I tell you what, I found the courage of Christ and I shared with Rob that day the truth, but instead I dug in like a fearful donkey and I did not move into my stubbornness, I blew it. I lied. I said, yeah, I don't know, man. I think my mom got this at a garage sale or something. Leave me alone, bro. And he walked away. And man, that drove me crazy. That bugged the heck out of me. I blew it. You see, the problem that we run into so often in life is that we put limitations on God because all we can see is our own limitations. We have no idea how God can use somebody as flawed and messed up as me. I, I get caught up with that all the time. God, how can you use somebody who's a special ed dyslexic ADD or how in the world can you do that? And I forget God is God. He can use anybody and anything he wants because he is big enough. Don't limit God based on your limitations. Recognize that God can use you where you are at. But I got stuck and I lied. Man, it drove me crazy for years. And my brother was good friends with Rob Doyle. They graduated together. And I started, God called me to ministry, and I started going around and speaking at conferences and sharing messages just like this. And it would drive me crazy. I would be talking to students and challenging them to do something that I myself didn't do. And so finally, it ate me, uh, ate me up inside enough to where I said, Sam, can you find Rob's address? I mean, this is before Facebook and stuff. And so my brother, was, he stayed connected with Rob. And my brother had just become a Christian. And I told him what I wanted to do. I'm like, I need to tell him. I need to finally tell him. And so I, I hand wrote a letter to Rob. And I said, hey, man, I apologize. I should have told you this years ago. This cross is actually something really significant. Jesus died on that cross for my sins. And he died on that cross for your sins because he loves you so much. The Bible tells us that if we believe in that and understand that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And I sent him a Bible and I just, I shipped it off and I, I didn't hear anything back from him. Three years later, I'm back in my hometown where I grew up doing a school assembly, getting ready to speak to some students about, you know, drug prevention or, you know, peer pressure, whatever. And all of a sudden the double doors of the gymnasium open up and there's Rob Doyle. And all I'm thinking is he never graduated. What's going on? <laughs> He looked exactly the same, wearing them shorts. And you know, he walks over to me, doesn't say a single word, reaches out, grabs me, gives me this huge bear hug. And all I'm thinking is this man's going to squeeze the life out of me right now. <laughs> gives me the biggest bear hug and he whispers in my ear, I got your letter. I'm on your team now. Yeah. I wish that I had more stories like that, but I have way more stories of where I've blown it, where I've gotten caught up with my own plans, I've gotten caught up with my own comfort, where I've said, Jesus, hey, you know what? Hey, you, you can do whatever you want. You know what? Pick somebody else. You know, I love it in this passage where Jesus says to the, to the disciples, go steal me a donkey, and if anybody says anything, tell them that the Lord needs it. You know, I, I struggled with that one for a while because I'm thinking to myself, you know, God doesn't need anything. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But as I began to realize and as I began to study this, God chooses to limit how much he gets involved because he's wanting to invite you into his story so that he can use you as his hands and feet. And so in a way, God does need you. 
He needs you to be his hand and hands and feet, and he needs you to share the good news. And he's inviting you into that. We just finished uh, in Mercy Students studying one of my favorite stories. I love all of them. They're all good. But this one's, I love this one, where Jesus performs his first miracle. He's at this wedding, and he's hanging out with his disciples, and they're all celebrating. And, you know, when you read about the way that they celebrated their weddings back then, they sound so much fun. They're dancing around, and all of a sudden, they realize, oh, we're out of wine, which could be a huge embarrassment for the family. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, we've ran out of wine. Is there anything you can do? And they have a discussion. And then Mary looks to the servants, and she says something that every single one of us in this room and all you guys that are watching online, we need to take this to heart. She says one of the most profound things. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he says. Period. No questions. No debate. Did you notice when Jesus asked the disciples to go get a donkey that there was no conversation there? I mean, can you imagine that? Wait, hey, Jesus, are you serious? You really, I mean, can we get some money? Should we pay for it? You know, there was no, there was no conversation. There was no, hey, you know, Jesus, you know what? That makes me super uncomfortable. Can you ask a couple of the other disciples? They did exactly what he said. In fact, in this passage right here where Jesus turns water into wine, at the very bottom it says, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Canaan uh, in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. His disciples heard what Mary said and they saw Jesus use something as simple as water and turned it into wine. And not just any kind of wine, but the best wine. Therefore, they knew when Jesus spoke, pay attention. When Jesus spoke, do whatever he says. Therefore, when you feel that nudge, that Holy Spirit in you, giving you that little nudge of, tell that story. Tell them that story about that time you were a mess and Jesus showed up and changed your life. Tell them. My hope is that you will listen. Ultimately, the question today and the chorus for this whole message is this, are you available? Are you available to surrender your identity in him, to find the confidence in Christ, to no longer be that fearful donkey? I, somebody last service came up to me. I didn't come up with it. They said, Ben, I'm no longer gonna be a fearful donkey anymore. I'm like, that's so awesome. And let Jesus use you. Sometimes, you know, we wait because we're looking for that big monumental thing, but you know what? That's not how it's going to happen. It's going to be these small little things. We got this Easter service coming up this weekend, and there's a great opportunity right there. Did you know that there are two times out of the year that people are most open to coming to, to church? Christmas and Easter. And we're coming up on Easter. And so, of course, I'm going to challenge you guys to invite somebody here. But here's the challenge. It goes beyond that. It's not about just a simple invitation to church, but rather I want to challenge you to invite them into your life. Don't just invite them to the temple, invite them to the table. We are all about relationship development, community. We wear these shirts all the time that says, live boldly, love deeply. Well, how do we do that if we're not entering into life with people to show them the love of Christ? to ask people something that they would never expect, not in this selfish me, myself, and I kind of a world, to 
go to somebody and say, hey, with no strings attached, I am not looking for anything from you. Can I ask you a question? Is there anything that I can do for you and to mean it and to love on them so they can experience Jesus in you and through you? How awesome is that? So this weekend's an opportunity to invite people to sit beside you and they're gonna hear the story of Jesus. They're gonna hear the good news, I guarantee you. Friday, I've already gotten a preview from Greg. He's doing the Friday. And if you're a believer, you need to come to Friday if you're a believer. You gotta come and listen to this. Greg's worked hard on this and it is so good. It brings the magnitude of the sacrifice of what Jesus did to the point where you, it just crushes your heart, but in a good way. But you're not gonna invite them just to come to this church, but recognize that you're inviting them to a relationship, inviting them to life. Is there anything I can do for you? I remember the first time somebody prayed that or asked me that question. It was an 80-year-old chalk artist. He was dying of cancer. I went to his room to pray with him to read some scriptures. And as I was walking out, he says, Ben, is there anything I can do for you? And I'm like, bro, you're in bed. You couldn't even get out of bed. And he's like, hey, this is what he said. Don't rob me of the blessing. First time I ever heard that. Don't rob me of the blessing, Ben. I can lay here and I can pray my guts out for you. What can I pray for? Man, God can use us in mighty ways, unique ways, if we just make ourselves available. We're going to sing a praise song, and it's one of my favorites. Can you guess it? It's called Available. And my hope is that you don't just sing these songs, but you're convicted to live this, the words that you're singing out of this song. You know, sometimes you know, my mom even asked me, she's like, Ben, when I come to church, why do they sing the chorus over and over and over and over again? It's because eventually we want, we want this to go beyond just a beautiful song. We want it to go beyond that to words that penetrate the heart to the point where, man, we are so convicted to live out the words that we're singing. And so my hope is we step into a time of worship that that happens for you. Let me invite you guys to pray. God, I thank you. You are such a good and awesome God. And your love for us is greater than we can fathom. It transforms lives. It changes hearts. And the sacrifice, Lord, is more than we can even understand. And so, Lord, I pray that as we step into a time of worship, that these words would echo in our hearts and that when we leave this place, we'd pray that scary prayer, God, use me, and that we would listen. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.